What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast, your favorite Star Trek podcast, favorite Star Trek podcast. I'm just going to keep going with that. I'm just going to keep running with it until it's true. <laughs> We're going to speak it into existence. I'm David Majors, and my co-host, Heather Kirby. What's going on, Heather? Oh, my gosh, David. It's been a hell of a week. It, it really, really has. has. It really has. And normally, for the last little while, when we open up the show, I like to say, there's a lot of Star Trek to talk about. And this time around, there's plenty of Star Trek to talk about. And hopefully we'll have some more in the future. But that's later, and this is now. So let's just jump right in. For new listeners of the show, we do we have a little format here at Promenade Merchants where we start with the old business, where we talk about the classic Star Trek stuff, just historical Star Trek stuff. New business, where we'll move a little bit later into what's happening in the world of Star Trek in the here and now. And then upcoming, where we look beyond, pun always intended. So, Heather, let's jump in. Let's talk about this idea that you had for for the old business. What's on your mind for old business? You know, I, I was thinking, and I chose my wording very carefully on this. Because the one thing Star Trek does really well is that they have antagonists. There's always a protagonist and an antagonist. Uh, But not all antagonists are villains. So what I wanted to talk about tonight was your favorite Star Trek antagonist. So villains can be antagonists, but not all antagonists are villains. And I, I, I think there's a discussion to be had about what makes someone a villain what makes someone an antagonist and why you might like them so where do you fall on that topic david uh i'm thinking about this and i'm saying that in the lines of the star trek as they've gone along given your description of what would make an antagonist Mm -hmm. i think the one that i'm gonna bring up is gowron Okay. Leader of the Klingon High Council and Chancellor of the Klingon Empire. Because in many ways, he was antagonistic towards the Federation. He didn't exactly... He wasn't exactly the friendliest of relations with Worf for many, many years, uh, including their bitter end. And for such a stage presence and such a character uh, he was never really the good guy as it were uh, n- not like martok and not like others uh, other klingons galron was always kind of his own man on his own island so my first thought is galron I think that that is definitely an excellent point because Galron is most definitely an antagonist, but I don't see him as a villain. Like he's not out to do completely, utterly evil things. Like if you want to look at that in the 
perspective of Klingons. Duras was a villain. <laughs> Duras was out to do some shady ass shit. Okay. True. <laughs> like, and then, like, when and you the, pair the two of them daughters. together. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the daughters and sisters. Um, I think they were his sisters, weren't they? Yeah. Larsa oh. and Bator. I just remember it was always the Duras sisters, so yeah. I figured they were the the daughters of Duras. But like he, he, and especially you kind of really can look at the example of a difference between a villain and an antagonist because Galron was introduced with like with Duras almost, so he was introduced as these two. Guys who were competing for the title of, of or the the chance to be chancellor, and Kempek didn't trust either of them. So you're in, you're introduced to him as someone who's not really to be trusted. But we already know Durat can be trusted. So Galron comes off more as an antagonist and just kind of eh, not really sure what's going on there, but not entirely bad. Where you know Duras is bad. So yeah, that that's an excellent example of the difference between an antagonist and a villain, I think. When I thought of this idea, <laughs> and you're going to look at me and be like, what? Why are you going to talk about him? But when I thought of this idea, is because I wanted to talk about one of my personal favorite characters in the Star Trek universe, okay. which is Khan. Ah, Khan Noonien Singh. Okay. Yes. And I think out of the, the three examples that we get to see Khan, the three times we see him uh, in the Star Trek universe, two of the three times, he's more of an antagonist than a villain. Like, I'm going to tell you, the Wrath of Khan, he was a freaking villain, okay? He was sure, out for revenge. Sure. He was out to do some nasty shit to Kirk and the Enterprise crew. Uh, he was a villain. But when we meet him in Space Seed and also in Into Darkness, I don't consider him a villain because one of the things I love, and, and we'll get into this a little later when we start talking about Discovery, but one of the things I love about Khan and the Augments is that it really has the potential, if they ever decided to explore the storyline more, it has the potential to really show... Uh, the effects of genetic manipulation because it's something that I'm certain started out for a good reason when it comes to science in general in the Star Trek universe and ultimately shows how science can be manipulated into something bad. But now let me ask you a question on, on that. Do you think that Khan himself was ever of the intent uh, to be a benevolent ruler because it always seemed like he was willing to rule over humanity, but it was usually by force. And he felt like he believed in the superiority of augmented human beings. Do you think that he would have been someone that would have let human beings live as long, even if they weren't up to his standards? No, 
No, I don't. But I think in a society of augmented human beings, Khan can be a benevolent ruler. But when it comes to people that are unlike him, he couldn't be. But that's also because of where their society had evolved to the point that he and his brothers and sister Augments were treated as something different. And so it's one of those, I think it's kind of like one of of those chicken and the egg arguments where he was created to be something different and something held to a higher standard. And then because of the way people treated him, was how he turned into being something more uh, not as accepting uh, because society as a whole didn't accept him for who he was. So why was he going to accept people who were different than him? Does that make any sense? It makes sense. It makes sense. I just, I, I think that, and I think we especially saw this in in Into Darkness, is that Khan had a very high opinion of himself, and he had a very low opinion of everyone else, and I think that makes a great villain. And I don't think that was necessarily a case in the episode of TOS he was on originally, but I think in The Wrath of Khan and Into Darkness, you definitely saw what made him a villain because he was he was as much about himself uh, as anything else. He he wanted to conquer. Uh, I don't think that he had the idea of doing what was best for humanity. I think he wanted to be a conqueror. And when you are actively looking to conquer, that probably makes you more of a villain. Well, I mean, like I said, I, I agree with that point on Wrath of Khan. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that when it comes to Into Darkness because I think the one thing Into Darkness really showed out of all of his uh, appearances in the Star Trek universe, Into Darkness really showed how people used him and used his genetics as a way of manipulating people like that. And so it it showed the impact that that really had on him because they used him as a tool. I mean, Admiral Marcus, in my mind, Admiral Marcus is the real villain of that movie because Admiral Marcus woke him up. Admiral Marcus then proceeded to use him as a tool and force him to cooperate by threatening the rest of his crew. Mm -hmm. So... When backed into a corner like that, a person like Khan, who knows he's smarter, faster, uh, stronger than the other people around him, are going to react in a harder way because he's experienced the bias of people and what the villain of the story really thinks of someone like him. And so that's why he ultimately, he he wasn't really trying to 
conquer. I, I don't think he wanted to conquer people at first in that story, but because he had been manipulated by Admiral Marcus and Section 31 for so long, it came to the point, it was a point of revenge. And it was a point of getting re- revenge for how they treated him. And then ultimately, everybody else who's less than him has to pay. And that has a lot to do with how the augments were manipulated to have these traits. And so, like I said, that's why I think the whole augment story, which you see some of that in the uh, Enterprise episodes of, of that feature the augments, the whole augment story is something that would be, if it, it was if it was done right, would be something that would be really interested to dive into because like Starfleet and its explorations like to show new scientific discoveries and, and how um, it benefits them, but it would also show how the wrong science in the wrong hands can turn bad. And, and the augments are a huge example of that. So I, I think they're a good example of how someone can go from an antagonist to a villain in a blink of an eye. <laughs> it doesn't really take that much no, to change no, that balance, you know? Uh, it really doesn't. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, the, the way someone can be a hero in the eyes of some and an absolute monstrous villain in the eyes of others. And since we're about to talk about wrapping up season three of Star Trek Discovery, uh, I will ask you, Heather, uh, where did you stand on Osira, Minister of the Emerald Chain, as an antagonist? Uh, Yeah, see, she's part of the reason why I, I, I thought of this topic as well, because she, I think... When we first meet her, she comes off as more of an antagonist. You know there's there's good reasons behind the bad things that she's doing. But by the end of season three, she's ultimately, like, and, and the, the one thing that really stands out to me is the end of uh there is a tide when she had this whole armistice planned out written out for the animal chain and the federation to get together and then it all blows up when vance tells her that she needs to face punishment for her crimes like if she honestly had the well-being of her people as number one that part wouldn't have mattered (laughs) But you see right at that moment that Osiris putting herself first. And that's the point where she completely turns to a villain for me. Because when when she sits there and, and could have resolved the entire thing if she had just been willing to be judged for the crimes that she rightfully committed. And she knows she committed them. Even if she feels she did them for a right reason, she knows she committed them. If she had been willing to judge for that, none of the the last episode had to have happened. But she put herself first, and her refusal to do that 
was definitely the point where she turned from being just an antagonist to actually being a villain. I completely agree. And I think that they did a really good job in turning up her villainousness in the final episode to, to really show that she might say the right things in the company of certain people like Admiral Vance, but deep down she's pretty ruthless and, and pretty villainous. And I think she was a pretty good antagonist who became a, a pretty good villain as well. Um, I, I enjoyed her as a character and as a personality for someone who wanted to do the right things, but she took the absolute worst methods possible. And she was pretty irredeemable by the end of the season. Yeah. But let's talk about that now. Let's jump into the new business. We have reached the conclusion of 23 weeks of Trek, brand new Star Trek for 2020. And early 2021, with the season finale of Star Trek Discovery, That Hope Is You, Part 2. I have to say that I really enjoyed this season finale. Of the three season finales of Discovery we've seen so far, I honestly think I enjoyed this one the most. I enjoyed this one a lot. I I loved how they put all of the stories together and tied them all up reasonably well while leaving some things open for the future. And I I liked that this episode also, like season two's finale, had plenty of action. Uh, So I'll just start it from there. Heather, how did you feel about That Hope Is You Part 2? I think, like, these last three episodes of Discovery really, um, they they took their time tying things up so like uh whereas like the 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 first two seasons really felt like they just kind of rush and throw it all together at the last second um this year they they really did a good job of exploring all the different threads that they had and tying them up one by one and it it worked really well um it was still I love that ultimately the season finale was still action packed, but it wasn't a big uh, space pew pew battle like uh, season two's was. <laughs> so because um, it had the potential to almost go that direction, but it turned out to more be focused on the battle on the ship, which is what I think really needed to happen. Um I really liked the, I, I know some people are kind of like, eh, I'm not quite sure what to think about that when it came to the uh, Sukal and the burn. Um, but I think it, it was really an interesting storyline and it got Doug Jones the opportunity to really show his acting chops once again. Oh, and man. Can, can we got we, to see his beautiful can we, face. <laughs> can we talk about Doug Jones this season, man? We can. What a performance. Uh, what a performance. And it was so 
rewarding and fulfilling to see him acting without prosthetics. That was just so fulfilling and rewarding to see in that moment. And when you saw, like, that moment, you saw Michael reacting to seeing Saru as a human, like, just jaw dropped, mouth wide open. I had the same reaction just because it was such a moment. Like, I remember live tweeting it, just saying, where were you the moment you saw Saru as a human? Uh, that yeah. was such a big, big moment. That's one. Of, that's going to be one of those moments, I think, uh, when the book is written on Star Trek Discovery. That's going to be one of those that people will remember. I really believe that. And, yeah, he he had so much in this season uh, being the captain of the discovery leading the crew through the time travel and into the future dealing with Giorgio until she left uh having to pick a first officer uh, and now sukal and having to really be uh really an older brother for sukal uh, to kind yeah. of pull him out of the hollow and the sheltered world that his mother created for him, it, it really was just a real tour de force for Doug Jones. I mean, it, it, it was incredible. And, you know, it was such a gift that they found a way to let him act in these last two episodes as himself without prosthetics. Because I think that's just a, such an honor that they gave him as an actor. Because he's so well-known for doing uh, monsters and makeup and things like that. And he very rarely gets the opportunity to act without those on. And that was really just the Discovery crew saying, we love you, we respect you, we're going to hand you this gift. <laughs> and he made the most of it. And it, I don't know, it, it, it was just so wonderful to see. It really was. He deserved all of it. Also, number two in this season, I want to give a big shout out to Wilson Cruz. He was terrific in this season. I think everyone fell in love with Dr. Hugh Colbert over this season. Uh, He really showed just so many incredible moments with having to deal with Giorgio, uh, building a relationship with Adira, uh, being a parent of sorts with Paul, with Adira. I I really thought Wilson Cruz was just absolutely phenomenal uh, in in this season as well. Oh my gosh, that uh, moment in the finale when Adira shows up and Gray is with them and everyone can see him, it, and then uh, Wilson hugs him and it's just, oh... <laughs> start crying just thinking about it it was such a wonderful scene and um it 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 just it felt so (laughs) I felt so happy and validating for those characters and as much as like Stamets was just all like completely in and believed that Gray was there and Q2 but like even to to see Saru look at them and be like yeah okay <laughs> he is there <laughs> he is real like and and to have Gray really be so validated in himself that 
you know, he, he, his spirit is real and people can see him at this moment. Oh, <sighs> so now I'm, I'm going to yeah. pull you back from the brink from, from your feels <laughs> okay. we're gonna, because I want to talk about how great the action was in this episode. There was a lot of what I like to call deadly space action all over this episode. It had the Discovery crew taking back the ship. It had some space battles. It had some explosions. I've, I've said before that I wish Star Trek Discovery had more episodes and I was willing to sacrifice a better budget and a better production for more episodes. But this season finale, they, they really went all out. And given the circumstances with the way the world is right now, with people being quarantined and the season being delayed, how well done this episode was with the amount of special effects and the amount of action and everything that really went into this whole episode where you had different moments where you really felt like you were on the edge of your seat and you were just holding on for the last second to see something that would happen. And the fight between Michael and Osira, which I'm still not sure. I'm throwing it out there. Was Sonequa Martin-Green pregnant at the time? I don't know. But even if she wasn't, doing those action scenes, awesome. Uh, Janet Kidder as well. Uh, just there, there was a lot of really fun, awesome action in this episode too. And I think that Sometimes you need that in in a season finale. Some might say that that doesn't work for Star Trek, but sometimes I think it does. I think when you do that at the right time in a Star Trek show, it can be really fun and really cool. You know, ultimately, I I mean, back in the day of the 90s and 23-episode-long seasons, you didn't always need action like that with the way tv is today uh star trek is a science fiction action show it is bottom line you know it is not it, it in in today's market uh, it science fiction equals action and so when you're going to close out a season and you're not sure when the next one is going to come along, too. You got to close it out with a bang. And so I, I think they definitely did that really well. Um, Michael's scenes with Osira were fantastic. Uh, books, action sequences with Zara were fantastic because, frankly, I love the fact that he killed that man after he insulted Grudge. <laughs> He's such a cat dad. <laughs> Zara was a villain. Zara was, he was a villain. <laughs> like I said, when I was uh, live tweeting the penultimate episode, Zara is the perfect example of you should have let Giorgio be Giorgio because then he came back and bit you in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> or you should have killed her. Yeah. Uh I, I liked Zara. He, he he was a very good villain. I liked it. He he was in no way redeemable. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need that. Yeah. Yeah. 
definitely. Um, so let's see, what else can we talk about with the finale? Oh, we got to see Ken Mitchell's beautiful face too. Yeah, yeah. And he played a big role in this, too. He really did. And I immediately, from the first time we met Aurelio in the episode before, um, I loved him. I I think he's such a fantastic character. And like I said, when we had the whole discussion about antagonists and villains before, um, he's one of those characters that kind of gets swept up into something even though he's completely not evil that man's heart is so soft he is not evil i mean just when he started stamets got him talking about personal things and he started talking about his kids and all the good things that he's done with his science like i oh and ken does such a wonderful job of conveying Aurelio going through the process of really opening his eyes to what Osira really is because all he sees is the Osira that she presents to him. He doesn't see Osira from an outside person's view. <laughs> she does. He does now. Yeah. And so he really goes through the process of actually listening to the arguments that Stamets made in the conversation that they had and being more aware of the events going on around him. And And I want to give the writers of Discovery a lot of credit here for really knowing how to pull at the audience's heartstrings. Uh, they knew that Aurelia would be a sympathetic character for the position he was in. Uh, I'm sure they also knew how many fans have an attachment to Ken Mitchell. And they wrote him in a way in relation to Osira that really highlighted who she is as a villainous person. And a really bad person who did some terrible things and I Mm. think that was really well done it's a little dark but I respect the writers for being willing to go there yeah I I mean I know and you and me talked outside of this before recording but there was definitely some conversation amongst people who (laughs) were angry about the fact that a disabled character was being portrayed as evil. And I don't think he ever <laughs> evil. No, like I didn't see it that way with him at all. I really didn't see it that way. Yeah. I I mean, I, like I said, I, I don't see that either. And while people are willing to see what they want to see and think what they want to think, um, I don't see it that way. And if my voice as someone who has a genetic disorder and my own vision disability means anything, I don't see it that way. And I'm not saying that 
people who do see it that way aren't valid because everyone is valid to their own opinion. But we're sitting here presenting our opinions, just you and me. I'm not trying to speak for anyone else. You're not trying to speak for anyone else. We speak for ourselves and we take our experiences and how we relate to these stories and tell them. And you're, you're I, being far more accommodating than I am. Uh, I will say everyone has a right to their opinion and Heather and I on this podcast have a right to disagree. That's it. Yeah. Like all, all, all we're doing is speaking our opinions and what, what we see and how we relate to it. And I'm telling you right here, Aurelio's character meant a lot to me <laughs> and seeing him interact with Stamets in that episode meant a lot to me and i have and, a hard time finding the words and to tell you nobo- truly how much it meant but and nobody's really taken that away from you nobody's taken that away and i have a feeling that that probably won't be the last we see at least of ken mitchell probably not aurelio i would not be surprised if we see more of him in the future i think I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so, Star Trek Discovery Season 3 is in the can. I will say that I think that this was probably, for me, maybe the most consistent season of Star Trek Discovery to date. I think that the whole season was pretty consistently good from start to finish. I think that while I enjoyed season two, and I think season two had more highs, it also had more lows. And I think that this will be the season that people say, like Star Trek shows before it, that this was the season where Discovery found its footing. I say that season two, but I do see the improvement in season three. So... I'm willing to say overall on season three, I'm giving it a pass. I enjoyed myself. I say in the literal and figurative sense, Star Trek Discovery season three is season three of Star Trek Discovery. It is the beard is growing is what I'm saying. The the beard is growing in. Uh, How about Uh, you, Heather? How'd you feel? I, I do think that across the board from beginning to end, season three has been the most consistent for me as well. Like in season one and season two, I can pick out obvious favorites, but I can also pick out obvious episodes that I just really didn't feel at all. Um, I can't do either of those about season three. I could not tell you what my favorite episode is, but I can't tell you if there's an episode that I really wasn't feeling because I enjoyed every single one for different reasons, but I pretty much enjoyed every single one. So that in itself makes it the most consistent season, I think. And uh, it's definitely, it's found its footing. It knows where it wants to go um, and it's heading there. And there are, a couple things that they left open for season four that I think will be interesting, but I look forward to seeing Captain Michael Burnham at the helm of Discovery and where it yeah, goes. Yeah, man. How about that three season story arc? 
That's that's some brave storytelling to start Michael Burnham as the first officer of the Shenzhou to being a mutineer to being a prisoner to getting to working on discovery to getting pardoned to getting her rank back to being a first officer to losing first officer <laughs> and now becoming captain that that is a story arc you know michael deserves it she deserves the light at the end of the tunnel uh she she deserves to be happy to be a captain to have her boyfriend at her side See, and, not dead, die. and not dead <laughs> not dead not dead david <laughs> book did not die i'm i'm happy to be wrong i'm happy to be wrong so um yeah she deserves it all and you know It's really been a joy to see her grow over the past three seasons. It's really been a joy to see all of these characters grow. Like, I honestly think Tilly has grown from the start of this season to where she is now. Maybe still Michael's XO, I think. I don't know. I'm not certain. There's a question in there. There's a question. Uh, in the final scene, when they're all wearing the new uniforms, uh, I didn't see this. I'm not one of the people that parses through every millimeter of film. But do we know if Tilly was promoted to lieutenant or not? You know, I don't have a good enough eyesight to tell those things on those damn well, uniforms. That, that, makes, that makes two of us, Heather. Uh, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't see that either. But I saw people discussing it. So, again... I mean- there was really basically the argument because I guess in the promo shots of them, she's wearing red, like she's has uh, command red, and then they changed it with special effects in the episode, so she's wearing blue. So I think it's it's kind of one of those things they're leaving it open for whatever they decide to do in season four now filming. <laughs> But they kind of left themselves a door open so they can make her whatever they need her to be. But still, her her growth throughout this season is uh, commendable and has been a joy to watch as well. Before we wrap up, I just want to say one more thing about Burnham. Man, I knew that as soon as it was announced... So Nico Martin-Green would be the lead in Star Trek Discovery. I knew instantly right away. And she has done nothing but prove that she is a superstar. And she, say what you want, has absolutely carried this show. And I strongly believe she's right where she needs to be. I agree. I, I mean, it it wouldn't be the show that it is without Sonequa's Michael Burnham. It, 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 I can't imagine anyone else in that role at this point. So, um, and, and, you know, she's such a leader, not just on screen, but off screen. And it goes to show when you look at how, much of a family this cast has connected. And a lot of that is because of Sonequa really putting in 
the work and being a leader to them on set. And that that's just amazing to watch and revel in. And I, I don't, <laughs> I, mean, I keep trying to think of different ways to describe my joy. So I'm not saying the same thing over and over again, but uh, she is, such a joy and she's a superstar she's a superstar she is she really is oh man this has been great heather it's been really great we've had so much of this franchise that we enjoy since we've started this podcast we've been blessed with new content upon new content through all of 2020 from star trek picard to lower decks to discovery, to all of the news, conventions, and everything. Through the course of the entire COVID-19 pandemic, Star Trek kept us going and kept powering through. And as we look to upcoming business, Heather, I'm looking at 2021 and uh, I'm a little worried. Like, because as we know... Star Trek Discovery Season 4 is in production right now. Yeah. Star Trek Picard, uh, I know Jonathan Frakes has said on an episode of The Ready Room recently that they're about to get started. I heard February somewhere. February. But they also film in L.A., <laughs> basically. They film in California. And right now it is not freaking safe to be uh, on a film set in California with the state of the U S the way it is and uh Corona virus cases spiking again. So I think February is being a tad bit too optimistic <laughs> for the car. I don't see them happening at the earliest, like late spring, early summer. Now, that brings me to Lower Decks as well. Now, Mike McMahon has said that some episodes for Season 2 are finished, which is cool. Now, that brings me to the other two Star Trek shows that are, that are kind of far out on long-range scans. That's Strange New Worlds, and that's Star Trek Prodigy. Well... We what do we really know about them in 2021? Do we have anything at all? The first season of Star Trek Prodigy is supposed to come out sometime in 2021. Yeah, okay. Look, I hear your skepticism. I hear uh, your it, skepticism. But hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. Especially with the way things are right now, it is a lot easier to do animation from a safe distance and at home than it is to do live action. So I think when we're looking at the potential for what new Star Trek we're going to get in 2021, I think we're definitely going to get season two of Lower Decks and we're definitely going to get season one of Prodigy because that can happen. It's very realistic that they can get the voice is recorded. They can get the animation done. They can put everything together safe and socially distanced and out to us as a finished product. 
before the end of this year. I when agree. it comes to the live action stuff, <laughs> not going to happen this year. Not going to happen. I'm, I'm saying it's highly unlikely. And oof, I don't know how, how I'm going to cope with such a, a lacking of Star Trek. Heather, what are we going to do for the podcast? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> oh, I don't man. know. <laughs> well, we're going to have to let's, think let's things work on, over and, and see what happens. We'll, we'll find things to talk about for for upcoming business. We, we might just make this a little bit more loosey-goosey of a Star Trek podcast going forward. We'll see what we can do. But it has been fantastic doing this show with you. It has been an absolute privilege to have you as my co-host, especially through 2020 with everything happening in the world. We've managed to have Star Trek to get it, get us through it. And doesn't that feel kind of appropriate that we have this show that has always been about optimism and looking forward to the future about how humanity can grow and change and do better and be better isn't it great that we've had this i think um star trek has definitely been a gift in 2020 um it was there when a lot of people needed it the most and i said this before and i'll say it again like their their timing as to how they release these shows was just perfect because we got lower decks at a time where we needed something fun and something light and something to brighten our days and make us smile and make us laugh and then we get the discovery right after that at the point where we really needed that hope and that optimism and that uh true believer stuff uh, to believe in our future. And, you know, it, it, it has just been a gift in this year that has been crazy in every sense of the word. And I'm so thankful for it. And even though we don't know if we're going to get any of that in the upcoming year, you know, um, we got it when we needed it. And, you know, we can go into this year just being a little bit more optimistic and a little bit more hopeful for what the year can bring, even if it's not going to bring us any live action Star Trek. Well said. So thank you all for coming along with us for all for all 23 weeks of Trek. It's been real. It's been fun. And it's been real fun. Uh, everybody, this has been the Promenade Merchants Podcast. We're on the web at my website, deltajuliatmike.com. You can find the Promenade Merchants Podcast wherever fine podcasts are aggregated. That's Apple Podcasts. That's Stitcher. That's Spotify. That is Amazon. That's all of the other places where an RSS feed can go. Follow Heather on Twitter at NerdyGal33. She changes her avatar every month. It's pretty cool. You can follow me at Call Me DJM, where you can hear all of the other stuff that I do. And of course, Heather and I collectively are at Prom Trek Pod, where I might live tweet all Star Trek, uh, 
in the evenings with the Heroes and Icons Network. We were doing Disco on the Prom, where we were live-tweeting episodes of Star Trek Discovery after they were out so people didn't get spoiled. What's up, cool cats and cuties? We'll, we'll find this more things to do at PromTrekPod on Twitter. Podcast out on the Check us out. We are the so Promenade Merchants Podcast. Heather, thank Majors you so much. It Kirby is talk a all joy and a privilege. Old, new, and and until next come. time, everybody, the Promenade Merchants are walk open with the for prosper. Business. Live long and profits. <laughs>